0: You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton, And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 29
1: of Behind the Scene at NTSB. The board recently completed our investigation of the March 2018 Tempe, Arizona crash involving an Uber test vehicle and impact with a pedestrian. Today, Leah and I are excited to be joined by... Two of our highway crash investigators, Ensar Bečić
0: and Mike Fox. Welcome, guys. Thank
2: you. Good to be here.
0: Thanks. Um, As we get started, what we always do um, is allow our guests to give a little background on um, what they do and how they arrived at the board. So, Ensar, I'm going to start with you, if you would share a little bit about your background. Yeah.
3: Um, I was in school for a very long time. And... (laughs) um, I finished my school at Illinois, University of Illinois, Mm -hmm. great place. Then I did a number of years in Minnesota as a (gasps) postdoc. Leah is from Minnesota. How did you ever had? Go, go first. Uh, (laughs) I'll stick with the Illinois. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So as part of all those years of schooling, I did a lot of research that interested me and maybe... Yeah, two dozen other people in the country.
1: (laughs) Okay. What kind of research were you doing?
3: Very, very basic visual attention and cognition. When I say very basic, it's at the very base levels. And if you add another 15 steps or so, someone might find it somewhat applicable in the real world. (laughs) Okay, But I love the puzzle and the challenge of figuring out how to answer and create uh, a mechanism to answer that. But after a while, I realized these might be somewhat selfish reasons for continuing that kind of work. I loved it, but it had very little practical use for um, the rest of the world. And then I happened to time came to become a little bit more professional and then I saw uh, an ad for highway crash investigator slash project manager. Sounded incredibly cool. I thought I would have no chance of getting this kind of job, but after a couple of interviews, I think it helped that um, it wasn't furlough at that time, but there was some kind of lack of funding Mm. due to which they were not able to bring me for an interview in person. Mm. So I had a couple over the phone interviews, which I think helped a lot. They didn't have to see me in person oh my before yeah. offering me a job. <laughs> so I've been here for six years now, and I'm very happy to be
0: here. So what? what is your degree, or what is your... Oh, that um, part. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious about it's, these. Uh,
3: I have a doctorate in visual cognition and human performance.
0: Okay. Great. Right. Thanks. Mike.
2: So I'm a native New Yorker, Long Island. Grew up in Garden City and uh, went... To the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, uh-huh. which is my undergraduate. Okay. And um, went immediately into the Army. I was armor officer, came out a captain, and then went into the private sector. I was in production management and textiles manufacturing hmm. for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And then um, was recruited into the air freight industry for Airborne Express. I was a terminal manager, so I did wow. airline uh, safety as well as... Uh, Um, freight, over-the-road delivery, and package delivery. Wow. So I did that for over eight years. And then I was recruited. I was doing a presentation uh, at the University of Richmond, and uh, I was recruited from that uh, seminar that I was attending and um, got an offer to uh, go to uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Okay. And... uh, after several interviews, I was hired and became a special agent for the DOT. I was there for a dozen years. And then um, I was also trained as a crash investigator Mm -hmm. and was out on scene at a crash in Doswell, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And the NTSB came and uh, Pete Katowski was the IIC. And he said, hey, I I like you, Fox. And so (laughs) uh, long story short, Mm -hmm. um, I, I applied for a job here and I've been here for almost eight years now.
0: Wow. That's great.
3: I think we have about two or three, or at least three, other, practically the same stories of a person and who ended up uh, working in the highway office, who met, who worked on a previous crash investigation mm-hmm. okay, yeah. a number of years ago. Sure.
0: Not just in highway, we've heard that with um, rail, some of our rail investigators as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you, by, with your background, you also are a multimodal. With your, a little bit of aviation and some rail as well.
2: Well, aviation and and highway. Okay. So those were the two areas. I dealt with uh, FAA investigators as well as uh, DOT. Sure. So anyway, I'm I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, we're happy that you're here too. Yeah. So we're here to talk today about the uh, Tempe, Arizona um, collision that we just held a board meeting about. And... um, if you would, before we kind of um, get into some details, can you summarize for us um, the what happened in the events of the crash, and then what was determined to be the probable cause?
3: Very succinctly, mm-hmm. um, since we're the meeting, the board meeting occurred two days ago. Mm-hmm. Uber ATG was testing what they are hoping to be an automated vehicle sometime in the future, and uh, as part of the testing, they had a vehicle operator who was tasked with taking over when system fails to detect anything, which should be uh, an expected part of testing of Mm -hmm. such systems. The operator was distracted for prolonged periods of time by her cell phone, and a pedestrian that was crossing where she shouldn't be crossing mid-block, was hit by the vehicle, mm-hmm. who, due to a number of complexities, even though the system itself could see the pedestrian, couldn't recognize the intent and where she was moving, and the combination of the operator who was heavily distracted, uh, the crash ensued, resulting in the, in the fatality of the pedestrian. And it seems a really simple or basic crash in terms of how frequently they happen. Mm -hmm. Pedestrian crashes such as these happen all the time, except this one involved a developmental test vehicle. So the focus of that is, uh, of the crash of the investigation was on that. Even though it may appear that the focus really should be on the automation and technical aspect of all, Mm that that really is just, the mechanism, that we're, the tool that we're use, using to get to these self-driving vehicles sometime in the future, who knows when. But the big part of that was uh, the company operation, safety culture, mm-hmm. which I know very little about in terms of that topic, which is why we have Mike, We can talk <laughs> about this for weeks. And the other two components, which is the oversight from the federal on the federal level and mm-hmm. on the state level because this is a very different issue and and that we're and the problem it the change is enormous mm-hmm. that we're trying to make we're making a jump to fully automated vehicles that might allow you to take a nap or read a book while you're being transported
1: sure and so I think that's a, a good segue for people that might not um Realize that well, the NTSB is a small agency and with over thirty six thousand um, fatalities on the roadways every year, our highway staff is not equipped to be able to investigate all thirty six thousand of those of those crashes. Um, so when you are determining which investigations you'll or crashes you'll you'll come out and investigate, um, what are some of the deciding factors for that?
2: Well, we have the uh, most wanted list, which is a guiding uh, element that we uh, always refer to. And we also have uh, a set of other criteria in highways, such as high fatal count, if it's a grade crossing, school bus, Mm -hmm. crash, Mm -hmm. different things that are definitely um, uh, things that need to be evaluated, whether we're going to launch or not. But if any of those elements are, are on the books with the duty officer, then we will deploy.
1: Okay, and then obviously with new technologies that are being um, introduced into the environment, there's obviously an, an interest in, in investigating those as we're kind of moving into that space and how those might influence
3: yes, what it looks like in the future. Even though it, it, in this case it involved a single uh, fatality, mm-hmm. we've investigated some that might not involve a fatality, but we also investigate a lot of crashes where Mike would be heavily involved because they involve various commercial operations. Sure. And they generally will also include much greater number of fatalities.
0: So let's talk a little bit about automation, um, because in the grand scheme of things, some people think that automation means fully, I don't need to drive my vehicle. Um, Some people understand automation to be just cruise control. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the level and what de- le- the levels of automation and what defines them?
3: Uh, since this is meant for public consumption, <laughs> I think we realized during this investigation that it might be best to try to stay away from SE levels mm-hmm. or only introduce them as necessary, with a disclaimer that general public doesn't really use these, these levels and because they have very little meaning. Sure. But it's more meaningful to this define them in terms what their capabilities are, sure. mm-hmm. functionalities mm-hmm. are, and what is your, as a driver, human driver, responsibility. Yeah. Rather than, is it level two or three? And especially with the, the, this developmental system, mm-hmm. this isn't, isn't just the general public. This is the rest of the industry and government. Uh, it's a test system. How exactly do we define it in terms of the SCA levels? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's sort of, well, clearly it's not working very well because it's a test system, right? So it hasn't met any specific criteria. But they use something, what's the intent of
1: mm-hmm. it? Sure. So mm-hmm.
3: when you finally are able to figure out the problem and solve it, what level of, of automation will it be?
1: Sure. So for the general consumer, if they go out to the marketplace to, to buy a vehicle now, what sort of um, systems are they able to purchase, kind of in, in not describing it as level one, two, three, or four, or five, which are the levels of SAE, um, defined levels of automation, but for the, for the general public, what, what sort of vehicles do, can they go out and purchase today?
3: It might be easier to view it from um uh, collision avoidance systems. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is one of our most wanted list items. Yes. Implementation. And we have been working on on advocacy for those systems for I think nineteen ninety-five was our mm-hmm. first stretch, Sure. So over time. two decades. Mm-hmm. And simply their systems usually for prevention of forward uh, crashes or rear end crashes forward collision warning, and automatic emergency braking. And those are the systems that have shown they have benefit and can save lives either through prevention or mitigation. Systems such as Autopilot from Tesla, which is really just a brand name, Mm -hmm. is meant to be a convenience system. And every single manufacturer that has any, even these higher levels, they're not really high, of automation, always state you as a driver must always pay attention to mm-hmm. everything.
0: And also, if you're buying a new vehicle and you're not sure what types of technologies are included in your vehicle, or if you know you see it on the dashboard and say, "What's that?" Um, it's always important to read the you know the driver's manual, or you can always go to um, My Car Does What i don't I don't know what the actual website is, but it's My car exactly my car does, it what. Is my car does <laughs> what where you can go in and basically figure out what vehicle you know type in your vehicle and it'll show exactly the different types of technologies that your vehicle has and I think how to operate them
1: and it, it definitely explains to you kind of what limitations it has or mm-hmm. how you can expect it to We to
3: work. do a pretty bad job other than my car does what does what which is an excellent resource mm-hmm. They're really, NCAP, U.S. NCAP is pretty, very poor. We are well behind compared to Australian, Japanese, Euro NCAP, which uh-huh. every single year increases the ceiling of what, what is required for a vehicle to reach a top score. Uh-huh. Our NCAP, the top score, which is five-star uh, safety rating system, uh-huh. has been the same for quite a long time, and it includes only crash worthiness. Yeah. in the beginning we've had what maybe vehicles with two or three stars and now every single one is five and kind of loses its meaning
1: sure but the uh, insurance institute for highway safety has also um, done some testing and crash testing and has done some rating of the the technologies that are available so they're a resource to people as well if you're looking Absolutely. if you're looking for the rating systems and kind of Absolutely. Who's performing well? They they have done that, IHS including provides. some recent um, pedestrian detection technology. They mm-hmm. in 2019, mm-hmm. that's a, a testing and rating system that they've introduced.
3: Yeah. I just provides, uh, in my opinion, much better resource than uh, Ncap.
1: Sure. Hmm. So, Mike, looking at um, the policy in Tempe or in Arizona for for testing, um, did they do they have a task force take um, program in in Arizona the way they
2: no, do in Pennsylvania no. they don't no it was okay. it was basically come come on in and test your vehicles. It was more of a economic incentive to come mm. with a low bar of uh, admission so um, and and that's why we crafted a recommendation to try to address that because it's rather weak and it needs to be strengthened
1: so for states that would be considering um Allowing the testing of vehicles on their on their roadways, what would you say would be the first things to consider, or maybe as they're they're thinking about whether or not this is something they really want to invite onto their roads, what would be first areas that you would want to make sure that you kind of considered or had in place policies, that sort of thing.
2: In in, in this in, in this crash investigation, we specifically looked at two states because. Um, Uber ATG was testing there in California and in Pennsylvania and kind of used them uh, as a, um, a, um, a good platform. Mm-hmm. And we realized that they had a lot of good elements that would be applicable for any state to use as a model.
1: What, w- what would some of those things be?
2: Well, as I described earlier, to have an application process mm-hmm. and then potentially have some type of a oversight board or committee that would review that. So there would be some checks and balances
1: so what sort of areas of expertise might might you want people you know that have oversight of these um sure these operations in a state
2: what would what would be helpful well, people that are involved in government that mm-hmm. would be very helpful and then also law enforcement emergency responders so they would know how to react to a vehicle that has all this kind of you know what do you do when you go in there how do you disable it if it's on fire does sure. it have specialized batteries or whatever and then um as I mentioned earlier on the uh, Pennsylvania model and California, to have uh, folks from academia that are familiar and people that are involved in the testing or, or AV world.
3: Yeah, well, not just technical, but people, uh, your kind of people. That's people who know what safety culture is, what's, uh, uh, what safety risk mitigation means.
2: Sure. Yes, it you, you, would be a, a good component as well.
3: Because we can't expect them to know understand machine learning or how any specific automation system works, but just to be able we in the report, we use, ended up using Word holistically a number of times because we couldn't figure out what is kind of single one or two metrics that could be used mm-hmm. because sure. there's, is, Mike is excellent at describing this, to be able to look at the company or, or at the testing overall just to see where the risks are.
2: Sure. And one of the things that was interesting in this investigation was, essentially, uh, Uber ATG um, was founded in 2015, mm-hmm. and in three or four years, they morphed into a 1,000-employee company. That's that's a pretty big company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when we started to uh, conduct our investigation and interview staff there, mm-hmm. we realized that uh, these people were extremely technically advanced and very tech-savvy. But when it came down to the rubber hitting the road, and I really mean that—the wheels turning on the roadway and dangers and understanding uh, safety nets and r- safety redundancies—they didn't—they didn't really understand that. They were very um, uh, cognizant of the technology, but mm-hmm. as far as <laughs> safety mechanisms, that was something that was not their lane.
1: Sure. So, what have they done? We know that they've taken some action since the that you all were engaged in the investigation before yeah. we even completed the report. Um, but what what things have they put in place now that would allow them to be able to do those risk assessment or safety management um, type themes yeah, within they, they, their company? They
2: really took a a lot of measures and listened to us when we were interviewing them, and we started mm-hmm. asking you. Know, basic thing. Do you, do you have a safety plan? Do you have uh, safety policies and procedures? Do you have SOPs? And they said, no, we don't, we don't have those things. Mm-hmm. And um, when we started going uh, and, and investigating further, you know, what other things do you have in place? They were missing very basic things. So what they did was they realized that they had a lot of shortcomings and they started to fix them immediately. So they, they, the first thing that they did was they realized they did not have the proper staff. Mm-hmm. They realized that, hey, we, we were very good on our technical side of things. We're really smart in that lane, but we don't know what Mike's talking about in this world. Mm-hmm. So they went out and to their credit, they hired not one, but two senior people. Mm-hmm. I mean, with exceptional uh, credentials. Uh, one came from the aviation world, who was a safety executive, mm-hmm. um, for a large um uh, airline industry and he is actually an SMS expert. He he speaks all around the world uh on SMS. And then they also hired a uh senior person from government who also has a, a extensive background to over 20 years experience in safety management. Mm-hmm. So collectively they retooled and reengineered their whole company. And they said, we're going to completely start from scratch. We're going to hire new people, new drivers. We're going to retrain them. We're going to give them added training. And we're going to start to fortify and and put the put the uh, blocks together on this building so it's going to be straight. So uh, to their credit, Uber ATG really stepped up their game, even before our board meeting yesterday. So it it, it kind of limited us on what we could make a recommendation on because they had – made so many strides to fix what, what we asked them to do. So kudos to them.
0: And we hadn't made any early recommendations on this on this investigation,
2: no, correct? No, they did this all on their own. Mm-hmm. They wrote good notes mm-hmm. and they, sure. they did their homework and they said, hey, maybe what these guys are talking about we should do. Yeah. And since so the,
3: since this is a po- podcast, just to uh, <laughs> describe it, Mike was actually building with his hands those blocks. <laughs> 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 uh, I, do, I do want to add that uh, towards the end when... Uh, some of these new people that uh, ATG has hired, Mike was very, very happy for one simple reason, that he was finally able to talk to someone who speaks their language. Sure.
1: Finally, someone who
3: understands what I'm talking about.
1: So safety management systems and safety management is something that often comes up in our other modal investigations, Mm -hmm. but not really something that we hear all that often, I would, in the passenger vehicle space of highway. Because I know we, we've we talked about safety management and risk management as it relates to some commercial operations in larger vehicles. But this is really kind of the f- the first time that I recall us talking about the idea of safety management when we're talking about passenger vehicles and Correct. testing of passenger vehicles. That's
2: true. Because in this case, in this crash, just as I was describing earlier, Uber ATG had morphed into a fleet they were mm-hmm. now, they were not, they thought of themselves as still being uh, uh, inventors, mm-hmm. and they did not realize that they had a commercial enterprise on their hands, because they were actually still picking up passengers. Mm-hmm. So that's a commercial fleet. Yeah. And that was
3: before, they stopped, they stopped doing that before the crash. Right, but time. they yeah. still had, they were doing. They had uh, test passengers. vehicles
2: that were picking up passengers. So the fact is that they had... Uh, evolved into a commercial fleet, but they did not have the infrastructure, as, as I had sure. described, to, to kind of rally and, and understand, hey, we have a lot of miles going on. We have a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. We need to start to build these safety systems in place. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as I mentioned, they did fix them.
1: So, Mike, I know you mentioned safety culture, and I think that um, we've talked about the driver and in, in, sorry, when he was describing the, the crash, was distracted by their cell phone use. They were streaming video um, mm-hmm. at the time of the crash. Yes. When you look at safety culture, and I know that Uber actually had a policy in place for cell they phone did. use behind um, the wheel. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about safety culture and maybe the fact that that driver was using their cell phone, even then there was a company policy policy? what that might tell you about your safety
2: culture, if you realize
0: that. that the driver was being recorded.
2: Yes. So you're talking about a lot of different things. So (laughs) let's try to break it down. So safety culture, just for those who may not know, it is a series of beliefs Mm -hmm. and values that a company would have to embrace safety. Mm -hmm. And it should start from the top and go all the way down to the lowest level employee. Everyone should be breathing it. It should be like religion. You have to have it run through your veins. It has to run through your veins sure, so yeah. that if you stop an employee in the hallway and say, what is you know what is your main policy? They should be able to spout it off because mm-hmm. it's ingrained with them from day one that this is the way that Uber ATG does business or XYZ company does their business. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that although uh, Uber ATG did have Policies and procedures in place—they were not ingrained; they were not fortified by the employee. And for some reason, well, for a variety of reasons, you know, policies and procedures were not standalone policies and procedures. Um, the driver evidently knew it was okay to get away with doing uh, watching TV on her cell phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact is that Uber ATG had an inward-facing camera and could have easily caught the driver, but they didn't even use the tools that they had. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to say something.
3: For this investigation, I was a project manager, which means I'm tasked with writing a final report that goes in front of the board. So... Several months ago, I asked, Mike, I really need your help writing about safety culture. Because to me, it's still an abstract term, and I kind of need some tangibles, examples of it. And Mike starts with, it's in your blood, you know it. <laughs> like, Mike, it sounds fantastic, but it just doesn't look that good on paper. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, it has to be like religion. You know, that's an easy way to describe it. People mm-hmm. have religion, and it's a series of beliefs. And that's the way safety culture has to be in a company. It has to be the way the company does business, period. It's only one way, the right way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I can speak from, I, w- I used to work in the airline industry, and there's only one, right, one correct way to balance a plane. Otherwise, it's going to crash. Mm-hmm. So there's very specific things. It's done by a checklist. It's done by Discipline. It's done with training, and it's reinforced over and over and over again. So I think you were talking earlier that you know, it, <clears throat> as far as uh, safety culture, it, it does exist in mm-hmm. the commercial fleets. Mm-hmm. But this was a, a new example of uh, safety culture that definitely is applicable to this type of um, uh, sector. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's great that we were able to investigate this crash and I think presented to the industry that. Really, all AV testers need to be doing it, whether you have 10 people or 1,000 or however many
3: well, employees. At the end, uh, because of all those things that Mike has described, of changes that at ATG has made on organizational and then on more uh, tangible, those uh, oversights and technical changes, we ended up making a sole recomm- single recommendation to ATG to continue and com- uh completed implementation of SMS. But uh, our hope is really that the whole report itself, Mm -hmm. along with those recommendations that affect NHTSA and and the states, will be used by industry to recognize what is really needed to conduct this testing safely. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that it can be uh, its same approach as before when testing ABS uh, a while ago. Mm-hmm. That this is very different, that the risks are very different and, and real.
1: Sure. And Mike, I think um, safety, we, we're using the term safety management system um, and safety culture in that those sort of terms. But we should say that a safety management system is not something that you just kind of develop and you say that you have. Mm-hmm. That your safety culture and your safety management system are things that you're constantly working on and ensuring that people are thinking about it and, and actively um, I guess, uh, oh, um, following your procedures and, and that sort of thing, that it would be something that you're constantly looking at ways to improve and exactly. reassessing and, and that exactly. sort of thing.
2: And one of the things that's a cornerstone of uh, you know safety culture and SMS program is having a plan. You have to have a plan. And, and the safety plan is going to divide up the roles and responsibilities in a company on where safety uh, uh, who's going to be accountable for what? And it, it has to be a living document. It can't be something you just craft and put on a shelf. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that's re- revisited each year because th- your buildings could change, your equipment can change, your personnel will change, and so that has to, uh, you know, carry forward as time progresses.
1: Mike, you mentioned that, um, or Leah mentioned, I think that um, they, there were inward cameras that were observing. The there driver's were. behavior in this case, and I know when I was um, listening to the to the board meeting, that something that you all <laughs> said about about the driver was that she had actually driven this loop or this route that she was on 73 times, yes. and that in this particular case, she unfortunately hit and killed a pedestrian. A- after after the crash, I'm sure that they reviewed the video. Had had she had that been something that she was normally doing? Was it was she commonly streaming or or using her cell phone while she was we driving, driving? We or? don't
2: we don't know. We don't have that uh, uh, specific information. Uh, we do know that she was uh, she had downloaded her uh, a, a TV show onto her phone, uh, and it was on at the time of the crash. Mm-hmm. Sure.
3: Well, we we know that the supervisors were not reviewing those. I think uh, the only time the trip supervisor would, would review videos is if someone ratted another operator that they were doing something they weren't supposed to. But this, sure. The driver right.
2: supervisor, the accident okay. driver supervisor, had never reviewed any of her videos, ever.
0: And, however, the policy for Uber ATG for cell phone use was a fireable offense,
2: correct? It was a termination, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So for a long time, and not just in this case, I mean, NTSB has long advocated and made recommendations around um, recording technology to be able to kind of, as a part of an SMS or a risk assessment, is to be able to True. identify um, behaviors of, you know, pick any modal industry and and we, we've we made recommendations. Um, they obviously made the investment in having mm-hmm. this safety technology of being able to observe drivers. What should they have Been doing. I mean, how often would you expect someone that had a really good policy and system in place to be reviewing videos as they're, especially as they're in this testing phase? Sure,
2: I I would recommend uh, weekly that um, a supervisor should be scanning, um, going in there. I mean, I I can't imagine that their their duties were that overwhelming that they couldn't have done it more frequently. Mm -hmm. But uh, the fact is that. uh, They had the technology, and they just were not taking advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And it should be noted in the commercial industry, in in, um, uh, tractor-trailers and in buses, they have this technology. It's been on the market for years and years, and they have taken full advantage of it. The inward-facing as well as external video uh, feed uh, in order to monitor compliance. So it's 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 not a new technology. It's been around a long time, and it's a shame that they didn't take advantage of that technology that was there. Mm-hmm. But uh, fast forward, they have installed new cameras that actually are going to be monitoring the driver for inattentiveness. So if the driver diverts their eyes away from the, uh, the roadway, mm-hmm. or if they're looking, scanning down for potentially a, uh, a cell phone violation, they would know. And the software is going to send an alert to the safety manager instantly. And the driver <laughs> will be warned. It's mm-hmm. going to give them a tone saying, you know, you're, you're not in compliance. Mm-hmm.
3: So actually, these changes that uh, Uber has made with the real-time uh, monitoring of attentiveness and bringing back the second operator give you an idea as to what they've had in a to- at the time of the crash that their methods of providing oversight were not really very effective at all particularly in this kind of testing where automation complacency should uh, be a well-known and expected risk they should have more robust methods of providing oversight because automation complacency should be expected that it would occur. So and and that drivers would really need help.
1: Sure. Can you to come back. can you describe a little bit what automation complacency is? And I and like you were saying, I guess why they why they should have expected that. I mean, it seems like it's new technology, and to think that right away. You can expect that people would be maybe over-relying on it. What what makes that the assumption?
3: Even though this may be new technology, it is something that has been researched for decades across various industries, not only transportation industries. Briefly, it could be viewed as a reduction or reduced attention or, or v- vigilance in the monitoring of uh, of an automation, typically as a result of a low failure rate, so when you're tasked with monitoring something where an event rarely happens, mm-hmm. you may you're much more likely to let's say engage here in even willful uh, misuse, such as the this driver by willfully using her f- phone or. Just unconscious, really subconscious mind-wandering. Mm-hmm. How often do you drive? Well, maybe not in D.C., but let's say <laughs> somewhere in Nebraska or, or, or just outside of town where <laughs> there's not much traffic, not much happens, and you don't really recall the last few miles. Sure. You're mind-wandering. Mm-hmm. And that is perfectly normal. That happens all the time. So that should be expected, and complacency, automation complacency has been found um, in aviation, in um, even marine-type mm-hmm. uh, uh, cra- uh, elisions. That's the term right. <laughs> And as well as other settings. So for example, nuclear uh, uh, in industry, where wherever a person, you may have a person in front of 10 screens to monitor changes in the environment. Right, bored, they get bored. Absolutely, so sure. vigilance decreases, attention decreases. And in this kind of environment, highway, if automation fails to detect or to do something, and if it so happens that the operator is inattentive at that particular time, we know crash can ensue within a few seconds. It doesn't take very much time.
1: Sure, Mike, for the, for the, the test driver, um, what sort of training did are they doing with, with drivers before they um, assign them the duty of being the, the test driver for, for vehicles as it relates to the Uber Since, ATG. since the crash? Yeah, sure.
2: sure. Well, since the crash, um, uh, Uber ATG has retooled their training program. Um, they have, um, in addition to just getting, uh, ordinary, um, um, driver training, they receive, um, Defensive driving, they are receiving uh, um, distraction, fatigue management. Uh, They go uh, through classroom training as well as track training. And they all are uh, going through training that includes uh, pedestrians, uh, jaywalkers walking out in front of the vehicle. And that's part of their training now Mm -hmm. is to anticipate that. Mm -hmm. And it was at the time of the crash as well. The driver knew that there were jaywalkers, they had it as a frequent. obstacle. Mm-hmm. And they were, 50% of the time the vehicle would come to an appropriate stop, 50% of the time it didn't. So and when it, was... it
0: didn't, oftentimes the driver would take over or be Absolutely. able Absolutely.
2: To... It was a no, because one of the routes, one of the loops that they did was in front of a university. So mm-hmm. they had a lot of college students that were actually challenging the vehicle to oh, see wow. if it would stop.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Seems
1: very dangerous. Oh, yes, um, a different
3: kind of game th- of chicken.
1: Um, following on on the technology and it detecting a pedestrian half of the time and then not the other half. What is the challenge for the for the technology? Because I. Not just in the the case of this Uber vehicle, but there's a lot of um, research being done on automation and, and its interaction with with pedestrians and bicyclists. What what seems to be the the challenge that makes it hard for the technology to really decipher whether they are it's seeing a pedestrian or a bicyclist
0: or okay. a or pedestrian with in a in bus case?
3: <laughs> uh, how about maybe to ask you a question? So. <laughs> If you go to conferences there's much discussion about automation and how things will be great convenience and all that and uh, how but one that i'm assuming you hear the most is it will be safer than a human driver Mm. so the question you should ask which human driver (laughs) impaired distracted driver Mm -hmm. well, well we better hope so that it will be better than those but an attentive experienced driver that is a pretty high bar to to meet. So if you consider when taking... Um, I know, Stephanie, that you're, you have a kid that's maybe about the time to get a driver's license. I have one that that already is, happened. I
1: have two licensed drivers. Oh, two. Okay.
3: <laughs> so one thing that we don't uh, do during a testing uh, or in a requirements for t- obtaining a driver's license is there's very minimal testing of your perception, of your vision. Mm. Your vision is very basic. Can you see some letters uh, on the wall? You can see. That's about it. However, percep- perception is the biggest challenge for, for a machine, for a computer. Mm-hmm. We know the computer will never be distracted. It won't start to engine uh, drunk, maybe if there's too much coolant in it. <laughs> But perception is the is the problem. Mm-hmm. Or when you're testing you uh, and your kids are testing, are taking a, a driving test. It, they include, do you know your traffic laws? Can you parallel park? Can you figure out uh, maybe a gap or how to cross? But you're not. They're not tested on what is that at the side of the road?
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Is that mm-hmm. a
3: human? Is what's the intention? <laughs> right. Because we. Human perception is excellent. It is very good. Clearly, we have limitations. But overall, we can identify what we see, Mm -hmm. even if it's something we have never seen before. A guy crossing the street in a chicken chicken suit. (laughs) We know, okay, it's a guy crossing (laughs) the street in a chicken suit, (laughs) even though we've never seen it before. And you know where it is going, whether it's potential hazard or not. Mm -hmm. For a machine, it is the biggest challenge. Mm. Was that the question? Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah.
2: You got it. (laughs) Or even, uh, to add to that, uh, it could be a paper bag going across the street. You know, is it, can I run over it, or is it a boulder? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's very difficult for the machinery.
0: So when it comes to driving, robots are not going to take over the world yet. Not not yet.
3: Not yet. (laughs) And that that needs to be said constantly over and over again, especially when questions are asked. I think... um, when we were prepping our chairman for his testimony yesterday, mm-hmm. when the question was, well, you may say that, that you do support technology. Would you be willing to uh, travel in an automated car today? Good proper answer is there are no full vehicles with full automation today. Mm-hmm. But I most definitely do want a vehicle that has collision avoidance systems.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, so in, as a result of the investigation, you issued a set of recommendations. Um, what will these or could these recommendations mean to the future of automation or automated vehicles?
2: Well, our, our recommendations kind of go in three areas. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they go to this, the federal level uh, for NHTSA mm-hmm. to set up safety uh, assessments. And then secondly, to um, the state's uh, also, to embrace that that they should have some type of of a um, vetting process, and then thirdly, to the company level, such as uh, Uber ATG. Mm-hmm. So, in in our in our view, um, it should be it should be collectively all three all three areas, the federal, the state, and then at the company level, should all be embracing um, uh, a piece of this buy.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure, and I'm. There's obviously opportunity for all of those people to also be working together. So it I mean, everybody has a part to play in mm-hmm. in how these technologies are being tested, and then ultimately, if they're proven to to be effective, that they would be available to consumers. But no the companies testing the states and the the federal governments can't kind of be operating in their own in their own spaces or kind of down their own path. They all need to be to be working together to ensure the, that it's being done safely.
3: There is a little bit of danger here. As we said earlier, we hope that our report will highlight to the industry, uh, based on things that Uber had the time of the crash and the changes that they made, everything that is needed to have to conduct safe testing. But there is a little bit of danger, especially when maybe listening to a testimony yesterday, particularly from DOT and NHTSA, about kind of the authority, what generally NHTSA's role is, Mm -hmm. and the traditional division of oversight. NHTSA regulates the vehicle, states regulate the driver. We are kind of separation of church and state, Mm -hmm. basically. But with these developmental systems and their testing, I don't believe this division of oversight can apply at all. It's not clear as to who is in control of the vehicle, the computer or the driver. Mm -hmm. And as we've described earlier... The operator was essentially part of the system; she was the final uh, safety redundancy to take mm-hmm. over in case of potentially emergency situations. So, for that reason, you may have a situation where Nitsa might say, "Hey, it's test testing operator is is should be monitoring. It's not our authority." And if you have state that says the same, it should be the vehicle. Nitsa, then you have no one playing, and it's kind of. Children running around with knives or scissors, whatever the phrase is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are, uh, it's clear that you guys could talk about this topic for a few more hours, but we are getting to the end of our podcast time. So I'm going to allow you any final thoughts before we close out either of you.
3: Maybe if I can start and Mike can finish um, in the last, without giving an exact timeline, uh, after we released our docket, we met with a group that asked us a question, and it was how were you able to get all this information about the system and everything? Mm-hmm. To which point I kind of, I'm using my hands to frame, uh, pointed to Dave Pereira, who was our investigator in charge, and mm-hmm. said, look at this face. They say Dave and the information just flows. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe more realistic answer, although that one is very realistic, is our party system. Right.
2: And uh, a great, great uh, point that this investigation was very special because we got to work with uh, Uber ATG and Volvo, and both were exceptional party members. And a investigation can definitely hit a brick wall if we're not receiving the information in mm-hmm. a reciprocal manner, mm-hmm. and in this case, both of those entities were transparent. They gave us everything immediately, and um, and in the case of ATG, not only were they <clears throat> transparent and gave us everything that we wanted, but they also were learning and fixing. Mm-hmm as we were going along, when we identified some shortcomings, they were fixing it. So uh, the experience was really uh, great working with those two party members. So hats off to them.
0: Great. Thank you. Stephanie, any final thoughts from you? Just that if um, listeners would
1: like to find this particular report or other investigations that the highway staff and uh, has conducted or other modal uh, investigations that we've done, you can always find them on www.ntsb.gov under investigations.
0: Thanks. And I'll just close by saying that NHTSA uh, estimates that distracted driving killed um, 3,166 lives in 2017, though that number may be underreported. Um, we have the goal at NTSB and other safety agencies of reaching zero fatalities on our roadways. And the best thing to do is to eliminate all distractions that a driver uh, may have, um, that includes cell phones. Um, you know, limiting the number of passengers that you have, um, not eating your lunch while you're driving, um, and just pay attention to the driving task and stay focused on the road. I'd like to thank again my co-host, Stephanie, and I'd like to thank our guests today, Mike and Ensar, and finally, our producer, James, for keeping us sounding amazing. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene
1: at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsv.gov. Thank you and bye.